0: Welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast. And we've got a treat today uh, because we have, uh, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. We've got one of the world's classiest primetime bartenders and uh, mixologists uh on the planet and that's a little bit of a hype but uh we are here with ivy mix who's the co-owner of the great Leenda restaurant in brooklyn new york and uh ivy's been on the front lines navigating the pandemic uh, playing a leadership role advocating and trying to protect the great bartender community over the last year or so Uh, but beyond that uh she is to the core by reputation, this is the first time I've, I've met Ivy, but uh, by reputation, uh, just full of energy and excitement and passion uh, for the bartender community. So Ivy, thank you for being with us. We're so Hello. happy to have you here. Maybe, thank you for being Exactly. Uh, let's just start off by just getting your your story. How did you land in this industry? And what yeah. really drove your your passion uh, that you display every day? <laughs>
0: um, well, it all started when I moved to um, Guatemala at 19. Um, I was going to Bennington College in southern Vermont. I had a pretty sheltered life, really. Grew up in Vermont, went to college in Vermont, um, and I had a winter term. And I like, and every year is a trimester schedule. And I was able to go to Guatemala, and um, I was meant to go learn Spanish and volunteer. But I discovered bar culture. Um, I, you can drink down there at 19, and I went to bars every day because this was before Facebook. It was before people traveled with cell phones. Um, you, if you wanted to meet someone, you went and you met them at the bar. Sure. Um, and I just really fell in love with bar culture and the community that bars can make. And that transferred into me working in that bar that I fell in love with. Um, I lived in Guatemala off and on for four years. Um, and I made this realization that I could be making money in the place I was spending so much money. I was like, well, this is great. I love like- the a win-win. Yeah, I'd be here anyway. You know, like I love hanging out in bars and I would be here anyway. Um, and then I moved to New York City in 2008. And the cocktail kind of revolution was re sprouting up in New York City. And I got a job in a cocktail bar as a cocktail waitress. And I, that just kind of like blew my mind. I was like, oh, I can bartend, which I already knew I loved doing, but I can really be creative. So that was really it for me. I was like, I'm working for free in art galleries, don't like it. And all of a sudden, I'm working in a cool cocktail bar, being really creative and making money. And I was like, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> exactly Absolutely.
1: and what what is your favorite part of being a bartender is it connecting i guess i've in my past i've i've uh, attended bar and waited tables and you know there's tough jobs right at the end of the night your feet hurt your legs are tired uh uh you know it, it's it, it's long but for me, it was always just connecting with a variety of people. Uh, could you elaborate? What's what 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 gives you that energy uh, to counterbalance the hard work it is to be a great bartender?
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure, long hours, late nights, all the rest of it, but there's, you know, I'm certainly the type of person that I Gather like my self worth. I like refill my battery when people when I can give someone something and they're really appreciative for it. So it can be something as simple as like, here's a cocktail. You know, drink this cocktail, Um, and someone's like, oh, I love it. This is the most delicious thing I've ever had. I'm like, oh, good. Like it makes me feel good to be able to do that. Or you know, playing the right music or creating the right ambiance. I like connecting with people. Human connection is what makes my life better. So to me, that's what the hospitality industry is all about. You know, the other level of it is all the cocktail creation and all the creativity there, which I love. But the, what keeps me in this industry is the people and those like making a second living room for people. Like every time I get a new regular, I'm like, oh, grace, This is good.
1: Pretty cool. And it allows you to tap into your creative bones, right? Because mm-hmm. you can... Uh, trial and mix uh, different different brands and different flavors and create a cocktail to make that one special person have that reaction when they try it, right? I mean, I bet you the reaction of a customer when you hand over a cocktail that you just made for them and they go, oh my gosh, that is so good, right? I mean, that's worth its weight in gold.
0: Oh, to- I mean, totally, because we're it's unlike kind of any other form of culinary arts, right? Because A, we're front of house, we're forward facing, we're not in a kitchen, we don't have to bake anything, we don't have to roast anything, it's like, oh, what do you want? I'm going to create it right here in front of you, just for you, right now. And you get to
1: watch it right when they're sipping it. Unlike, you know, a great waiter handing over a great dish, they walk away and let the patron try on their own, right? So you get to see it instantly.
0: Yeah, and it's instant gratification for everybody. So it is a unique uh, a unique experience in that way.
1: Absolutely. So Ivy, uh, clearly, I mean, the last year and a half uh, has, has presented a lot of challenges. If we look back to you know, March 13th onward, uh, you know, uh, we were a couple of days away from St. Patrick's Day, if I remember, and so forth, and all the anxieties and challenges could you elaborate a little bit about that? Uh, and, you know, now, now, you know, about a month or so ago, we we thought we were putting COVID-19 kind of in the rear view mirror.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, with the uptick of the Delta virus, uh, you know, that's just creating some challenges. Obviously, we're, we're, we're a lot smarter and uh, knowledgeable on how to navigate that, but. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit about your passion for bartenders and what those first couple of months were like? I bet at, at a minimum, really, really scary, right? Because we thought it was going to be a two week deal. Mm-hmm. and But I think we realized soon uh, that this was going to be a longer haul.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was certainly in the naive camp. I think, um, I was definitely in the, how long could this possibly last camp? Um, <laughs> i when we decided we were going to shut down, we thought we were going to shut down for a week. Um, And then it became apparent that it was probably going to be a little bit longer than that. So, you know, we sold, I I literally just turned Leyenda into a window and I was like selling all of our produce, toilet paper, like whatever. It's like, who who wants it? Like come and get it. um, And let's just get it going. Um, And uh, yeah, it was scary. I end up moving back to Vermont um, where I'm from, where was born and raised and thought I was going for two weeks. I was there for nearly three months and it was brutal. But in that time period, I was asked to be part of the independent restaurant coalition, yeah. um, the IRC, uh, to represent bars, like to be another voice for bars because they were trying at that time to write some legislation saying, Hey, bars and restaurants need money. Um, anyway, it's all very convoluted, but it all has to do with something called your NAICS code. And they didn't really? want at first bar, the bar code wasn't included in that. And I was like, no, wait, <laughs> like we need to be included in, in this, in this, in this effort. Um, so, you know, we, I spent two, three hours a day every day working with the IRC in the beginning when I was just stuck at home in Vermont, like couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere. Um, and it was very uplifting and we ended up, partnering with uh, Representative Earl Blumenauer of Portland, Oregon, and a number of different senators, including Chuck Schumer. Um, It's very rare to have the Senate Majority Leader partner like this. Um, And yeah, we got the first round passed of the Restaurant Revitalization Fund um, in the first kind of relief. And now we're trying to get it refilled, Um, trying to get more relief for bars and restaurants across the country that people seem to forget that we had... 15 16 months of just going back into the red you know <laughs> work so hard to get out and we're just going right back in
1: for sure and it was interesting I mean discus works closely with uh, uh, with the independent restaurant uh, coalition and and with the the, the the National Restaurant Association as well and and recognize I think uh, a lot of work has been put in place thanks to your leadership and really bring in the Independent Restaurant uh, Coalition together to hopefully work more in unison with the, the National Restaurant Association as well. And uh, uh, tell us about uh, Cocktails to Go. Uh, you know, As you're aware, uh, we're very, very disappointed because Cocktails to Go did not get extended in the waning days of the New York legislature. And, oh, yeah, uh, you know, I remember the day that uh, Governor Cuomo really rose to the occasion. Back, I think it was in March, late March, early April, mm-hmm. to allow cocktails to go uh, for New York restaurants. Uh, but it has since a little bit died on the vine. Uh, we're going to try to bring it back up again. You know, uh, so how important was cocktails to go? Uh, during that time period and how much do you miss it today in terms of it being an economic lifeline
0: yeah i mean at first it was all we did right we did a cocktail csa was what we called it for like two and a half months you could order with us um, and you could pick up either on tuesdays or fridays and we would basically just only make the amount that we needed so we wouldn't have any waste we weren't like ordering boxes of limes and having them go bad sure um and that was the only way we did anything. Like That was really the only way we were making any money um, in those two and a half months. Then once, you know, bit by bit, more but more, um, we are opening and we opened. And the more and more we opened, the more and more to-go alcohol sales went down. They didn't stop completely. Sure. Um, and I think the real bummer for me is that we were going into summer and New York city summer is back. People are leaving on the weekends. They're just gone. They're out of here. Yeah. They're like, I'm yeah. camp, they're going upstate. And there was a real opportunity to bring, to be like, Hey, are you going upstate? Take, take a picture of margaritas with you. Like we can, we can give you drinks for your whole weekend because we know you can't get it as good as you can get here there. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then it was totally taken away. And you know, I had written a whole business. Like I had a whole plan of how much money I could bring in just in making this booze go out the door, um, and having people take it away. So it was a huge lost opportunity. Um, especially with like our to go, like people were just grub hubbing, you know, like 16 margaritas. Um, and that's great. Like it was great for us. Totally. It's totally. Lab- not labor intensive. Um, and it was wonderful. I, I- we weren't quite as a, uh, Affected as people who kind of turn their places into like bottle shops. We never did that. Um, I also I, I don't know how anyone could possibly be surprised that that they changed that law like that They were just like nope never mind is done like the cuomo administration has just botched every single bit it did the whole New York City legislation like the, it's just been such a disaster. Um, so I was not surprised and I feel, but I really feel for people who like are sitting on a bunch of inventory, like people who turn their bars and restaurants into wine shops and all of a sudden they have cases of wine and what the hell are they going to do with it?
1: Yeah. Really, really disappointing. Yeah. Uh, Ivy, pre, pre pandemic. I mean, it sounds like you got really, really involved in the public advocacy process. Uh, Was was that, uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but was that top of mind for you uh, from a bartender restaurant uh, perspective, pre-pandemic. I mean, I think one opportunity that we have, particularly for the bartender community going forward, is uh, to get them mobilized for the future uh, to engage on public policy issues that that count, right? Yeah. I mean, could could you talk about that and how that is... You know, the experience in New York, uh, the highs and the lows of it. Uh, could you elaborate on that and how that will be a guide for you going forward in terms of your activism?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always been a pretty <laughs> active person, but I think that, you know, there's if one, if COVID's done one thing, it's really highlighted some of the fundamental problems that have existed Always in this for industry bartenders. for
1: bartenders, for bartenders, and bartenders, bartenders.
0: bartenders. Yep. in particular, yep. and now we kind of have to look at those and not be like, "Oh, let's go back to normal." We can be like, "Oh, we need to we need to fix that." Like that wasn't right, and we have to fix. I mean, and the whole restaurant. I mean, the, the whole thing from the, from top to bottom. Restaurants and bars are, are having a self reckoning. Um, but for me, I really learned a lot in the advocacy I did during COVID. I had never really called my representatives before and it wasn't that hard. I was calling people all over the country and having conference calls with senators and congressmen like daily for districts I didn't even work in to tell them like this is really important, we need help. Yeah. And now I know like the squeaky squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So I, you know, there's tons of things that I've been thinking about and looking towards. I mean, healthcare being a massive one, especially for Um, tipped employees, bartenders in particular. So yeah, I'm excited to keep on advocating and keep on trying to fight for our rights.
1: Absolutely. Ivy, we have a grassroots platform you may be aware of called Spirit United. And it's easy. Uh, You sign up, uh, you volunteer, it's volunteer, you sign up. And when we have massive campaigns with Congress or state legislators we utilize mm-hmm. spirit united we do a call to action everybody that has signed up on spirit united gets an email and basically we draft the letter mm-hmm. uh, whatever the issue is, right and everybody can go in and customize that letter however they see fit mm-hmm. but if you just if you're good with the content of the letter it literally takes you a less than 2 minutes to pop oh, right. out <laughs> letters to your legislature yeah and you're right i mean uh, the lobbying aspect of things, it's all about winning, share mind, right? And these lawmakers have a lot coming at them on yeah. education issues, homeland security, national security, healthcare, right. and all of the above. So to mobilize the bartender community uh, mm-hmm. in a platform like Spirit United, uh, 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 I think is, is a worthy consideration going forward. And to count on mm-hmm. discus, to help in any way that we can, uh, or we can, y'all can use the Spirit United platform as well. We're here to help. Thank you. Uh, because well, at the end of the day, I mean, we recognize the bartenders are on the front lines. Uh, you know, Discus represents many of the great suppliers across the world and in the United States and so forth. Yeah. But it's our bartenders that are on the front lines with the consumer and with totally. this industry. And it's what The bartenders uh, in many regards is what has made this industry so brilliant over ever since prohibition, of course, but certainly over the last 15, 20 years. So all right, I I, Speed Rack, which is triple cool, a (laughs) national cocktail competition that creates a platform for female bartenders and simultaneously raising money for breast cancer, which is a great, great cause. Uh, and other related charities. Tell us about Speed Rack, and uh, how did how did you land on this idea, and uh, how how's everything come along?
0: Yeah, so we, um, my business partner Lynette Morero, and I started Speed Rack ten years ago. Um, we started it. Basically, I approached Lynette about an idea that I kind of thought up as a joke um, on a boat in San Francisco with my friend Rachel Shaw. And we were joking about creating something called Speed Rack because tokenism, this is before the word tokenism was even a thing. But people were coming up to like the few female bartenders they know, knew and were like, help, can you be in this video I'm making? Because I, I don't, I, we don't know any women, you know, and it was just so funny is that there's so many, there were so many, but everyone didn't know who we were. So we were going to do a joke, a thing, a joke, uh, competition called speed rack. And then I sat down with Lynette and I was like, Hey, I have this idea. I think speed rack can actually be really beneficial and really, um, uplifting and benefiting. What do you think about making a cocktail competition just for female bartenders, just to put us up on a stage literally and show everyone that we can do it just as well as the guys. Um, and we did. And I was like, also, I want to make, I want to, have brands pay for it, so sponsor it, and I want to raise money, but still charge ticket entries. Um, and I want to raise money for breast cancer, which is the you know number. I think it still is the number one killer of women. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, so that was ten years ago. We when we first started, people told us that we wouldn't have enough women to compete nationally. On um, our first event, we had thirty-two women show up um, to compete. Um, and then we took it across the whole country that first year in 2011. And we've gone international. We've gone all over the place. So, And we've raised over $1.25 million uh, for breast cancer charities. So wow. it's pretty great. Uh,
1: I have to say, uh, my favorite, I'm a football fan, as you <laughs> can imagine. And uh, kudos to what the NFL has done. My favorite time of the football season is where they're they're wearing all the uh the breast cancer uh the pride and pink and all of that it's just amazing and what you're doing with speed rack is amazing as well right so i i gotta i gotta i got a sidebar question this is not nor this is not (laughs) it just came to mind uh about a a month, month month or so ago we partnered with uh women on the vine and uh, spirits uh, with mm-hmm. uh, sexual harassment training. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for women bartenders, uh, and I know this is a touchy subject, but that is probably something that female bartenders have to contend with. And oh, yeah. uh, I went through the training myself a couple couple weeks ago. It was amazing. And uh, if, if we can help in the bartender community with that training, that would be great, but is that always something that that a female bartender at times has to contend with? And it's, I know it's yeah,
0: it's something that a female period has to deal with. But I sure. think that, that you know, being in the hospitality industry, um, being being in the hospitality industry, people can misconstrue you're doing your job as you flirting with them and there's like an open invitation to touch or to this and you know this be, before me too i can tell you very much it was a different world out there than it is now <laughs> which is like it's a it's a horrible thing that everything happened but like people aren't like smacking butts and stuff like that nearly as much as they used to but you know we're uh a, a female-owned establishment and we don't tolerate anything like that in there and Um, You know, I think the best bars in the world are the ones that you see women drinking in alone because they feel comfortable being there. Totally, but yeah, it's all about being good citizens and like looking around us. And if you see someone acting like a jerk, like say something. You jump in, jump in,
1: yeah. And I can, I know that happens. And you know, uh, it's a community effort, right? I think uh, to to get after some of the challenges female bartenders may have to face or that we have to face within the hospitality industry, right? Because people, well, it's just people can be people, right? Uh, but it's a community effort to, to get after that problem and so forth. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the restaurant. Uh, could you, so I, I'm coming up there in a couple of weeks with my family and we're going to go check it out. Uh, so uh, tell us about the restaurant apart from the pandemic and all of that. Tell us why any patron wants to come out and try that great Latin American uh, cuisine. And by the way, uh, Leenda means legend, legend in English, right? So tell us about the restaurant if you could.
0: Yeah, so... um we opened in 2015, and the goal was to open up a kind of pan-Latin-inspired restaurant. So, thing, you know, we are looking at and celebrating different distillates from Latin America and the food that comes from there, seeing as that, you know, food and drink are some of the best cultural representations of different places. So, you know, we're tiny we're not a very big place. We've got about 55 seats inside and an additional, I guess now we got additional 40 outside because we have a. Have, yeah. yeah, have the parkettes thing. But, you know, we've got a lovely staff and really good retention of um, people who've worked for us and we're friendly. You know, when we first opened up, I told everyone that we weren't selling, you know, martinis and old fashions and whiskey and gin. We were selling things that people didn't, know what it was let alone how to pronounce it so we're an open vibrant casual but fine um establishment and it's just great i mean we made it through covid thank god and one of the greatest things about making it through was having our regulars come back and just being like thank god you guys are still here like like, i need this place in my life and i'm like great (laughs) like made it all worth it you know
1: just to hear that in your time, your four years in Guatemala, I mean, obviously, you fell in love with the culture and the people there, right? In your experiences mm-hmm. there, uh, could you just talk about that in itself and yeah. your your interest in, in in Latin American culture?
0: Yeah, um, well, because I grew up, as I said, in central Vermont, Vermont. And, yeah, it's completely
1: yeah, completely different world, right?
0: Completely different, because, yeah, and I never, really, yeah, never really traveled, never really not a lot of diversity in my life. Um, so I um, decided, to, I went to Guatemala the first time and I loved it. So I moved back and I split my time between university and, and Guatemala. Then I started traveling from there. Um, I went to Mexico and then I started going to like El Salvador and I started moving my way South. Um, I lived in Peru for a while. Then I lived in Argentina. I did my term abroad in Argentina. I did eight wow. months there. Yeah. And yeah, I just really found that um, being in that and and granted it's not in America is humongous. It's like saying all the United States, is the same. It's totally not like everywhere is different. Everyone has their own identity, but it was really exciting for me to travel and see the different places. Um, And I had a real interest in um, just kind of the, in the, the, the blending of cultures, I mean, obviously, colonism is colonialism is uh, colonialism is a, is, a, is a is a horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in the United States, everyone, all of our indigenous people are in reservations, right? They're kind so, of like put to the side. And down there, I was really amazed by like real apparent representation of ancient ancient incan mayan culture blended with this european catholicism and it just blew my mind i mean you couldn't you can't get further away from central vermont (laughs) literally cannot get further away from it so you know and that's that spurred my interest in traveling the whole world i mean from there i've gone to europe a bunch and and then once i became fluent in spanish i just that's it's like it sounds weird, but like I I have to slow down and think about what I'm saying when I speak in Spanish because it's obviously my second language and like I'm fluent, I'm not I'm not like I can't speak like as fluent as like my English. You got to think about it. Well, I have to be very intentional about what I say, and I find that I I I, I like communicating more when I'm speaking in Spanish.
1: Awesome. Well, look. uh uh i can't i'm sure that is all reflected in that beautiful <laughs> restaurant of yours and i'm looking forward to uh, visiting it and and partaking in it as well so Same. uh so now we've got a little lightning round now i'm going to throw in a curveball because i heard this on another podcast and i really like it so we've got a couple of you know pretty basic uh questions two two or, two or three of them you would you would expect, I guess, coming from a distilled spirits council podcast. But one is, uh, are you a thrill of victory person or an agony of defeat? And my point in that is, uh, I mean, is it all about winning, right? Uh, or, or do you get motivated when times are hard, right? So I know when you were up in Vermont for, you know, two weeks, but actually it was three months, right? You were motivated. So that's, this is a new question for our podcast. Are you a thrill of victory person (laughs) or someone that is inspired by the agony of defeat?
0: Definitely agony of defeat, for sure.
1: I I figured that because (laughs) look look what you did, look what you did. Yeah. Being motivated in rising to the occasion. Uh, (laughs) That's fun. That's fun. Okay. If you could be anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, uh, and have a cocktail at this very moment, if you could be like Bewitched, and you can twinkle your nose, you remember Bewitched, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, twinkle your nose and pop anywhere in the world, where would, you, where would you be to have that cocktail?
0: I would probably be on the beach in Leros Greece.
1: Oh, check you out. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Not
0: bad. Not, Not bad. Latin America, but but yeah, probably the beach in Laros, Greece. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been, and I just am really missing traveling.
1: <laughs> awesome, get that. And of course, we would ask uh, if you could have any cocktail at this very, very moment. Uh, it's got to be one of Ivy Mix's cocktails, I presume. Uh, but what would be that cocktail that you would have?
0: I would probably have right now. uh, One of them is yeah, one of my favorite drinks. It's uh, called the Say Anything. Um, It's got jalapeno infused tequila, cachaca, apérol, lime, and mint with salt, and it's and watermelon. They say watermelon, watermelon. It's delicious.
1: Oh oh my! Oh my! Oh my! when I I don't know if you'll be there the weekend I'm coming up, uh, but uh, if I'm there, I'm gonna get you
0: to make that for me. If you I'm great, and it's, and it's in my book. If you if you want to make it yourself, it is in the book.
1: You got it. Oh, that's right. Tell us a little bit about the book as well. Uh, uh, tell us about your great book.
0: Yeah. Um. So I wrote a book called Spirits of Latin America, going with the theme here. Um, it came out uh, last May, May two thousand twenty. Um. Not a good time to have a book come out, but yeah <laughs> that's what it came out And um, yeah, it's a book of kind of celebrating and really doing a deep kind of historical dive into what Latin American spirits are, how they're representative of the places from which they come, and then cocktails with um, those spirits.
1: Awesome. so everybody, everybody that's listening, go out <laughs> and get that book from Ivy Ivy mix. Ivy, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council, thank you everything that you do. Thank you. And uh, on behalf of all of our member companies and really the industry, your leadership and support of eliminating breast cancer, your leadership and support of the bartender community, and then what you do every night on behalf of all of our brands and bringing a little bit of cheer and tough. Tough times, right? And uh, I am looking forward to visiting the restaurant in a couple of weeks and meeting you in person. We will do the virtual fist bump uh, <laughs> and we'll go from there. And awesome. uh, thank you for joining us on the Spirited Advocate Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
0: The Spirited Advocate Podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show, or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.